One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding a website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen .ca as the trusted online home for their business. Visit cira.ca forward slash startup today. Entrepreneurship doesn't have to be tough when it's cooked right. Co-founder of Relish Gourmet Burgers serves up well-done recipes for startup success. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Startup Canada Podcast Show. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett. The Startup Canada Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, a grassroots entrepreneur-led movement to bring together, celebrate, and give a voice to Canada's entrepreneurship community. On the podcast, we speak with the movers and shakers of Canada's entrepreneurship community and explore themes in entrepreneurship, startups, investment, innovation, and impact. The podcast is brought to you by our friends at Intuit QuickBooks, your partner in starting and growing a financially fit and fundable business. Check out startupcan.ca backslash finance to sign up for a startup finance bootcamp near you and get 50% off QuickBooks online for your business. This month, we are featuring some of Canada's leading high growth entrepreneurs. As part of our Master's Entrepreneur Series, today we are speaking with Jonas Stern, founder and CEO of one of Canada's most successful startups, I know you've heard it, Beyond the Rack. Beyond the Rack is a private online shopping club for men and women looking for designer apparel, footwear, and accessories up to 80% off retail value. Yona was the CEO of Gosh Marketing and the Chief Marketing Officer at Ice.com. And hey, if you've ever seen Fido's cute puppy advertisements, you got to thank Yona, who was the company chief marketing officer who introduced those very cute puppies to us. Over the course of the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to do a deep dive into building a high growth company, raising investment, marketing and sales, and advancing Canadian entrepreneurship. Yona, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to learn all those things from you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. That was my bio I just read. Sorry. About that. So first of all, why did you choose the puppies that get chosen and not some Doberman or cute little Yorkie? You know, the irony of it is I'm not a dog person ah. at all. If it was left to me, there would have been two cats on the uh, Fido, but I guess it wouldn't have gone well with, at the, all. with the nomenclature. So I, we had to default to uh, to a dog. The, the funny, there's a funny story actually behind the dogs. Yeah, let's do it. When we first um, when we first chose the dogs, and they were in our anchor commercial that we were uh, running nationally, and we built our first flagship store, which was on St. Catherine Street in Montreal. Right. We had this big. It's it's just ginormous, like eleven foot uh, portrait painted of one of the dogs and it was used in the in the original commercial it was in the flagship store and when they redesigned the flagship store they were going to throw it out but instead they presented it to me <laughs> and I've kept it and I have it and it's moving into our new office we're moving to the new offices in Montreal and it's followed me around for the last I guess 20 years or so right. from one place to the other. So oh, that's uh, fun. I still have that dog. Yeah, And you can't get rid of that dog. You were emotionally attached to that dog. Like uh, Tom Hanks was to that uh, soccer ball on uh, well, the I'm, movie. I'm, I'm happy you made a, a movie reference because whenever I, anybody sees the dog and they say, <laughs> is that your dog? <laughs> I always refer back to that great scene in When Harry Met Sally ah. when 
Bruno Kirby is out on the on the on the sidewalk with his wagon wheel table that his wife won't let back into the apartment they're about to share. That happened to me with my dog. No way. My wife said, uh, that's not coming. (laughs) (laughs) My coworkers and employees have have had to live with the dog instead. Oh, that's funny. Well, I don't know about you, Yona, but I remember a different scene when Harry met Sally. (laughs) Yeah, we won't go there. We won't go that way. (laughs) Well, listen, my friend, you've always been interested in, in, uh, in, uh, at some level of entrepreneurship, but have you always been interested in entrepreneurship? And uh, if you can tell us a bit about your beginnings as an entrepreneur and you know what's that what's that spark that inspires you to keep going doing what the magic you're doing well i started pretty early um I, I didn't know there was such a thing as an entrepreneur i actually didn't know that owning a business was um something that you could do i grew up in a family of educators right my mother was a teacher my dad was a teacher um but i started pretty young um uh, instead of summer jobs i started companies, started a house painting company and then, um, uh, a, a marketing company doing direct marketing. And back in the day when I was in uh, corporate life, I, I followed a, uh, uh, corporate path in the early part of my career. Um, we didn't have a word for it. Today, there's a word for yeah. it, you know, the, they're called intrapreneurs. Mm. Back then it was called business development, which means we're going to give you a project. And if it works, you have a job in the fall. And if it doesn't, well, so I did a lot of those types of projects throughout my career. And I I was fortunate that I kind of grew up in a, in a, in a, in a company, um, that at the time, the, the concept again today, we call it mentoring, you know, back then, you know, somebody just gave me a shot who was high up in the organization. That was Avon. And and that's where I kind of, I've cut my teeth on digital marketing and database marketing. I mean, I came a long way in an industry for a guy who has an English degree. That's crazy. So Avon, I mean, back then, I mean, did you, I mean, I got to ask the question. I mean, you're a guy's guy. Was it kind of like a, oh my gosh, I'm going to work for Avon. What will my buddies think? Um, Well, actually, most of my buddies like me were were trying to pursue creative careers. Ah. I wanted to writer. Uh, so, um, actually most of my friends were kind of jealous that I had a paycheck and they were waiting tables. Yeah. Well, so, and, and hanging yeah. out in a female environment when you really get down to it, right? It, it wasn't the worst job, <laughs> you know, the, the steady paycheck was the best part of it. And I can tell you to this day, I know more about foundation and mascara than any straight man in Canada. I'll keep that in mind next time uh, my wife's birthday comes along. Exactly. I'll be able to say to her, no, honey, that's not what Yona says. Right. Layer, honey. Yeah, layer. layer. Come on. Right. Well, look, uh, Beyond the Rack offers designer items for a discounted price. You know, where did this idea come from? And you know, how were you able to actually implement this idea with, uh, with all those major obstacles? Because, you you know the the, the 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 common thing that I teach entrepreneurs is don't compete on price, just don't do it. Uh, and where were you? Where were you six years ago? <laughs> now, now you tell me. Sorry, sorry. I'm writing this down for my next board meeting. <laughs> That's good. Rivers says, "Don't compete on price." That's right. <laughs> Charge eighty percent more. <laughs> right. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you know, uh, it's kind of marketing one hundred and one. It all comes down to what the what a viable customer value proposition is. Right. And I guess the two components of viable is. It has to engender, you know, 
some degree of, of demand and loyalty amongst consumers. And at a certain point in time, you have to, it has to be profitable. It's got to be a viable venture. Right. Um, we were fortunate in that um, we were innovators, uh, not inventors. Mm -hmm. So we saw this business model, um, as many other people do with their businesses, we saw a business model that was flourishing in other markets. And the question that Robert, my partner, and I um, asked ourselves in the summer of 2008 was, will it work here? Mm. Is this a transferable, is this transferable success? Um, is the um, you know market penetration that other guys are experiencing and, you know, at the time it was Europe and there were some nascent startups in the U.S. But is this transferable to Canada and uh, is it transferable to the mid-market um, in the U.S.? And so we didn't know for sure what the answer was, but kind of the, the signs that we you – know, kind of the tea leaves we were reading based on successes that the business model was experiencing in other markets were, yeah, this is probably worth a shot. And I guess we were fortunate that we were able to convince enough, enough people to kind of go along with the idea. And over the, the next uh, few years, we were able to prove that, yeah, there was a lot of demand for, um, you know, consumers willing to trade, if you will, the speed of Amazon mm -hmm. for, um, I guess, the pricing of uh, Winners or Costco. Yeah, very cool. I mean, the logistics alone, this must be incredibly overwhelming. That's that's really what we discovered is the killer. Um, when we first did the business plan, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time on the business plan. Mm. I think the really nice thing, you know, in today's day and age, six, I, I sound like a like a fossil, but um, <laughs> when we started the business, you know, there were no accelerators. Yeah. You know, there was no founder fuel. There was no grow. There was none of those things. So we were kind of figuring it out on our own. Um, many of the things that, you know, we figured out we had to do to raise capital, like write a business plan came out of, if you will, screwing up the first meeting with a guy who asked a bunch of questions for which we had no answers. Yeah. And then, you know, three meetings later, we looked like geniuses. Oh, the first guy asked us for this. I guess we should go figure out what that means, yeah, right? Yeah, you listened. But, you know, but today, you know, you, if you get into an accelerator program or one of these incubators, you're surrounded with mentors who are going to kind of tell you all these things so you don't look quite as stupid mm -hmm. or unprepared as, as, as we did. But, you know, for us, it was really all about, at the beginning, kind of proving the, the, the business model. Right. Right. So you, 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 your business model was based on actual, actual happenings versus going to happen. So. Yeah. We were trying to, yeah, we were trying to retrofit what we saw as a, an opportunity right. up to a, to the Canadian marketplace. Yeah. And you know, we, you, so we said, okay, let's check the boxes. Um, there's a company in France at the time that was doing close to a billion dollars in revenue on this business model. Yeah. And, you know, we looked at the GDP and e-commerce penetration and wireless and all of these other things. And we said, not too dissimilar. Um, and the big question for us was, could we source the goods? So could we find product cheap enough? Yep. Um, could we acquire customers at the right price and would they yield um, a high enough lifetime value to pay off the cost of acquisition? So we spent 95% of our time uh, trying to validate those two elements of the business plan. Yeah, very cool. The two things that we gave completely short shrift to um, was IT and logistics. Isn't that interesting? Um, I don't even think we capitalized logistics in the business plan. I think it was like a small L. And <laughs> today, I can promise you, it 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 dominates our time. Yeah. After cost of goods, 
fulfillment and logistics is the biggest expense line in our P&L. Yeah. And our ability to execute against that not only drives customer satisfaction, but also whether we make or lose money. Yeah, well, it's it, it you've reinforced again the, uh, the 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 necessity of of doing the pivot if something's not working or something needs to be addressed. Don't be picked. Oh yeah, we pivot. We pivot. Uh, six years six years in, we're still pivoting. Yeah, yeah, smart stuff. Well, as the CEO, you know, I'm I'm a uh, I'm a founder of a of a of a business, and uh, it's now actually really proud. We're we're now coast to coast with our with our little gourmet burger business but when we I know I love it and, and congratulations <laughs> oh, thanks on yeah success. yeah it's, it's really surreal I, I just, it's all I can say it's as uh, you, you can appreciate the swamps and the quicksands along the journey and it's really cool that uh, we're here where we are but in in my my adjustment my uh, executive movement if you want to call it I moved from being the CEO to now the CMO You've stayed on as the uh, as the CEO for Beyond the Rack through your journeys. What what kind of keeps you motivated to uh, to keep growing the Beyond the Rack as its CEO? Um, the business has evolved a lot over time, so I, I can honestly say from um, almost week to week, my job description, even though my title doesn't change, my job description right, certainly does. Right. And you know, as the team has grown similar to what I'm sure you've experienced as we've expanded geographically and in terms of the scope of the businesses that we serve, um, I continue to learn. Right. Um, and you know, I guess for me, as long as I'm learning and it's fulfilling for me, um, on a day to day basis, it's, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. I think, uh, you know, having spent 20 years in corporate, if it ever for me became, um, routine, like, oh, here's Christmas mm, again. Mm, or, mm. you know, I think for me, it would then be time to hand the baton to somebody who relishes that type of <laughs> nice. task. There are people who love that stuff, right? Nice. Well, by the way, we're going to open up. T- I threw that in as, a, I love as that it. was for you. And that's the way yeah. we work it. That's, relish is a verb. It's not a noun to us. And we're actually going yeah. to be launching two stores in Montreal next year. Next year so we'll make sure you guys get I'm to. I'm first in line. Nice. Right. Trust me, you, you want me as a loyal customer. You will be my guest, my friend. My guest. <laughs> we'll talk about learning. Um, there's a there's a story that you told at the Startup Canada Live conference. And and I know, it's, it's, I know you love telling the story because the the ending ended up being so great but you took a flight to zurich to pick oliver jung and uh, and i remember you spending three thousand dollars on the ticket or something like that story and 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 you and your business partner said are you freaking crazy and all t- yeah he, he said he says that a lot to me. yeah he's still saying it <laughs> i yeah. love it well you but surround yourself with people that you feel comfortable can say that to you yeah and that you feel comfortable having that said to you. Yeah, right on. Because it's kind of mission critical. Yeah, that's funny. That's Well, it's so true. Well, look, if, if you hadn't, uh, I mean, give us the nickel tour of that story, because uh, we've got a bunch of other things we want to talk about. But ultimately, the, the quality. Yeah, <laughs> the bottom line was we, we, we got into this whole idea of raising capital um, really as neophytes. We had no clue what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, evidence today by the terms we agreed to, but that's a, that's a story for a different. Uh, okay. Yeah. But the, the bottom line is um, we had a deal that we thought we had that was um, being circled by um, uh, a local venture firm that was going to do lead the series a, and they were going to do six, hundred thousand, I think out of a million mm-hmm. on the, our first round. And as it kind of came down to it and, and it was being circled by a bunch of, 
angels, uh, Oliver Young being one of them. And he was based in, uh, in Switzerland, in Zurich. And at the 11th hour, um, just to make it interesting drama, an interesting narrative, the, the lead pulls out. And we're left with um, all the guys who were supposed to fill in and we thought the whole thing would crumble. And so I hopped on a call with Oliver to kind of tell him the bad news, expecting fully that he would say, well, if your lead is out, I'm out. Mm. And instead what he said, and I'll, you know, I'll bear you my, my poor uh, impersonation. He said, well, maybe I'll take the lead. But, you know, 600 is a lot different than 100,000 and I'm going to have to meet you. And so um, my reaction was, OK, I'll be on the next flight because the reality was we were out of money in two weeks or whatever. Uh. So it's not like we had a lot of time. And so I hopped on the next flight. And how much, how much was that flight? Yeah, it was a little over three grand, mm-hmm. um, which we didn't have. Yeah, of course. And just to show you how naive we were, my partner with whom I shared not an office, but a desk. So we were facing one another. <laughs> Love it. Love it. He's, he looked at me as I was, you know, booking the flight and he's like, you know, making wild hand signals and like, what are you doing? Do you know how expensive that is? Is he going to pay us back? <laughs> yeah. right? Like, Okay. Like, I don't know much about venture capital, but I don't think so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so get on the flight, you know, a, a go to Zurich, sit down in a room. I think they probably signed like, you know, the Versailles, you know, treaty or something in that room and spend five hours walking this investor who's supposed to become our lead through the business plan. And at the end of it all, he says, you look like a nice guy, but I can't invest in your business. And, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of it was when I asked him why he said, you think too much like a Canadian, meaning you think too small. Mm -hmm. And, um, you don't know the first thing about online marketing, which both of which I didn't quite understand, but I let later came to understand that he was completely correct. He said, Yona, why do I want to invest in a, in a company that's going to do a million dollars after two years? Like, where's the upside for me? Mm -hmm. And, um, he wanted you know, he wanted something that was going to scale and something that was um, shooting for the fences. And so ultimately, he agreed to fund a, a business plan that was completely different than the one we had proposed. We had proposed slow, metered growth, uh, profitable business after the first year. And what he said was, let's spend, let's spend the seed capital proving the underlying fundamentals of the business model and if we don't, well, it was a good shot for all of us. And if we do, then we'll raise real capital and execute right. against on those proven fundamentals. And he was right. It was the right way to go. If you hadn't taken that flight to Zurich, uh, well, let me ask you, ultimately. I'd be working at your at your burger place. Well, you'd have to go through the interview process, I'm afraid. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Well, just because you given know the way this, just, Yeah, given the way this is going, probably <laughs> wouldn't have gone too well. Um, do you recommend that people take flights to Zurich when they're in that position that they have to? You know, desperate times call for desperate measures. Mm. And um, Rob and I came to the conclusion at that point when our lead had pulled, um, we were so far down the rabbit hole yeah. that if 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 it came to it that all we were going to do was light it for one day, sell three items and shut it down. <laughs> We weren't going to leave it short. Nice. Okay. Nice. Let's put it that nice. way. And, and we had just put too much into it that we just at least 
wanted to give it a proper burial. <laughs> but um, it worked out. It worked out in the end, and um, we got the data. And here's the funny thing: like Oliver got on a flight the next week and joined me in New York for a bunch of marketing meetings, and said, "This is the way." you see the market and this is the way you do a marketing deal. And, um, he was, he was good to his word. We were out of money three months later. Yeah. We blew through the million bucks. We're good at that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, we, um, he was, he also wrote the next check Yeah, and he see all on a handshake. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? It was good to his word. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't it great finding something like that? We've, we've gone through a similar experience with an investor out of Turkey and it's just, it, it's so, it's so refreshing. I think is the word to find that sugar daddy. I call it that, that is good to his word on a handshake. It's just a wonderful well, experience. I can tell you, look, I've been, um, I've, as you've done many business deals, you know, somewhere you honestly think you're, you're negotiating like, a NAFTA trade agreement. There's so many lawyers in the room. Um, and I have to say my most successful business deals and my most successful business partnerships have almost always been on a handshake and an assurance. My business relationship with, with my business partner, Rob, we've been together for 13 years. I don't think I've ever signed a piece of paper with him. Uh, That's cool. How'd you guys meet? Um, pushing our, our eldest daughters in the park when they were both four years old. Nice. So when you're the only two dads in the park yeah. on a Tuesday afternoon and it, and with your preschool daughters, you're either independently wealthy or out of work. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, get, I'll give you one guess which we, which category we fell into. There was no women to talk to in the park that day. <laughs> yeah, just our five-year-olds. Yeah. And, and uh, he, he's, he was in the process of trying to buy a business. Yeah. And um, I was in the process of trying to figure out how high I could push my daughter on the swing. <laughs> and we decided, well, maybe we should try this together. And it's been, um, it's been a great relationship ever since. Are you polar opposites? Um, we're definitely, uh, we definitely have what we, I would consider complementary skill sets. Yeah. Nice. nice. Um, I'm a dreamer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a pragmatist. Mm-hmm. Um, we rarely agree. And when we do, um, we, you know, it's probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, we respect each other's shortcomings and I think it's what makes a good business relationship. And it, you know, I'm look, trust me, I'm not a psychologist or a marriage counselor, but, you know, uh, delightfully happily married for 20 years with an, a most amazing woman. And I would say the same is true of our relationship. Yeah. We're, we have complementary skill sets and we respect each other's differences. Well, it, it's really unfortunate. You said you weren't a marriage counselor because I was leading into that with the next question with my relationship. <laughs> so that, that really pisses me off. Now, now I got to go to question 13 and skip 12. <laughs> okay. So on to the next question, we, you could tell this could go on and on. It's lots of fun. Um, the, yeah. Uh, oh, I know one question I do want to ask you, but with your business partner, um, and and it, and it's it's an important kind of topic because a lot of our listeners, you know, that's how they enter into the fray because they don't want to do it alone. But it's finding the right partner. If you and your partner ever got into a huge, I'm going to call it fight, and you say that's it, I'm out of here. Um, yes to the first part of the question many times. Right. Um, usually it ends with a hug. Right. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. And, um, you know, there's that adage about never going to bed angry. Mm -hmm. Um, we try to leave it in the, in the, in the boardroom. Right. 
um, we, you know, Rob and I have always used the sports as a really good, um, uh, way to kind of vent frustration. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've been playing hockey together pretty much ever since we met. Um, not very well, mind you, but we do it. Um, we do it for the laughs, but we also do it for kind of the, the mental release. And I, I think, uh, you know, I've got, we've, uh, we have a lunchtime hockey game, um, twice a week at the office. And for me, it is, uh, given my limited skills, it, but it is, it's an absolute must. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, it, it's absolutely a must. And, and what I like about it, it's scheduled. Uh, I remember hearing a quote one from Richard Branson. He says the, the best asset you can give to your business is your health. And, uh, it's so resonated with and me. And yeah, it, it's emotional and mental mm-hmm. health. Um, absolutely. I had the opportunity this morning, uh, Montreal was listed as one of the top, um, 20 startup ecosystems. And so, you know, people here locally are really proud and justly so sure. for, for being named alongside of, uh, Toronto and Vancouver and making that list. That's it, you know, it, it's the results of, um, the efforts of a lot of people, a lot of people who, um, five, six years ago, um, devoted themselves to making that happen. Mm. And so, um, I was very happy and I, I was, I was honored to be asked to, to, participate in an interview about that this morning on, on CBC. Nice. And, uh, I, I was joined by, um, I won't say a young entrepreneur, but, a, but a guy who's starting a new business, really bright young guy, a mm. uh, great idea. And, you know, we sat before going on the air for, I don't know, half hour or 45 minutes in the, in the green room. And, um, you know, he, you know, of all the things you could sit there and talk about, the the one thing that where the conversation uh, ended up um, migrating to is how to deal with um, the setbacks mm-hmm. and how to manage the emotions and kind of like the hidden um, I guess the hidden truths behind you know entrepreneur or or, or you know founder depression. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's getting it's it's kind of finding its way out of the cupboard. Um, but that's, that's not an unsurmountable thing. I mean, one of the things that I would say, um, my partnership with Rob offered me the the greatest gift was somebody uh, in whom I could confide. Right. I have the same thing with, with my wife, Natalie, sure. but on a professional level to have that and to know that that guy's got your back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and won't judge you. Mm-hmm. And you could stare at him and say, I really don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't have that opportunity many times because, you know, you need to, you need to maintain a, uh, a brave face in, in front of lots of different people, bankers, investors, employees, um, vendors, you, you know, they they don't want to see you, uh, quivering or unsure, but you know, for sure you have those moments. Yeah, you sure do. And it's, it's one of the, the reasons that I love startup Canada, because it really gives you that clubhouse to hang out with people who one understand the language two understand the journey. And three, you can commiserate with and laugh about the journeys you're all going on. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, the emotional support mm-hmm. Look, mentoring has offers so much value. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly lay of the land and don't do this. And I made that mistake. 
mistake and this mistake and people are furiously writing notes. But um, the emotional support is also, also extremely valuable. Yeah, very, very, very much so. Well, look, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about Montreal. I presume you're a Canadians fan. Um, yeah, died in the wool. That a boy. Yeah, nice job. I got a, a Montreal Canadian seat from the old form in my office. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you come into town, we've got seats, and we'd love to. Oh, thank you. Love to, we'd love to take you to a game. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Um, actually, can we arrange that now while we're on the call so everybody witnesses it? <laughs> <laughs> anytime, right. anytime, my friend. Well, look, you're uh, you know much of your market though is outside of Canada when we're talking about Montreal. But so why did you choose? to be based in Canada and in Montreal. And, you know, if you're encouraging startups in Canada and investors from outside of Canada to invest, or sorry, to anchor in Canada and Montreal, what would you say the benefits are for doing that and then going global? Well, I think there are a couple of practical things, uh, you know, that you can kind of start to check the boxes, you know, highly educated workforce, um, access to seed capital, um, a burgeoning startup community where you can have access to mentors across a broad range of different type of industries. So all of the basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but Montreal offers something else that um, – you know, I would say if I had to compare it, I'd probably compare it favorably to a place like Vancouver. Right. Um, just in terms of big cities, because there's a quality of life um, element and a joie de vivre that you don't find a lot of other other places. It's a very livable city. It's mm-hmm. easy to get around. Mm-hmm. Um, and it attracts a – it attracts a, a very international uh, type of uh, – Person, like it's a not uncommon that you'll find, like in a in a startup in Montreal, somebody from South America, somebody from Australia, somebody from Paris, mm. uh, from Singapore. People seem to gravitate because it's it is a very global city, very much and so. people come there to enjoy the city as much as they do to enjoy a career or a professional pursuit. Yeah. All of that other stuff that's kind of been built around it, like the, 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 um, the things that you kind of need. Um, I'm happy to say have been built, but you know, um, I think as a city, it's, it's a, it's a great place to work out of as long as you not relying on Montreal, um, to kind of pay the bills. It's, yeah. a, it's a great place to be based out. If you can be based in Montreal and, ship globally it's a great place to work out of yeah very cool yeah. Well, what i love about that is you're talking about the soul that uh, yeah that, no question yeah, that, and and that's look that's reflected in when you walk through the startups mm-hmm. you, you see what they're all about and uh, you know what it's I, I find it amazing i'm a mentor at founder fuel in montreal okay. and when you go through the cohorts um and you see how many of them are not um native to montreal right, how right. many people you know, came from the valley yeah. or come from South America or from Hong Kong and and applied and are accepted. I think that 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 tells um, a lot about the city and a lot about um, how how it's it's come a long way in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, very cool. Well, look, uh, um, um, it's it, what's what I say is very one of the other reasons I say is very cool. I was talking to a guy from Startup Chile that started that. That's the he lead of that group, and you know his whole his whole program when he launched it when the Chilean government launched it was that Chileans couldn't apply for it. You could only, if you're an immigrant, that's the only pe- type of people that they would accept wow. for the program. It was just brilliant, brilliant. Um, 
Look, you have uh, you've been consulted by governments on how to better support entrepreneurship and particularly high growth entrepreneurs, etc. How if you get the prime minister here and he's going to do one thing that you tell him to do to advance entrepreneurial growth in Canada, what's the one thing you're going to tell him that he needs to do now? Oh, you mean uh, outside of like a grant for Beyond the Rack? Yeah, well, that's, that's, um, yeah, yeah, that's, okay, that's he's already so giving you things. the grant. That's, this is, right, okay, okay, so, yeah, it's already so here. two things, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> here's my thinking. Um, and I, in fact, I had the opportunity to um, express this to uh, the late, great uh, Jim Flaherty, who was a great finance minister. He was, and, yeah. and I think he's going to be, he'll be missed, not to say that Jim Oliver is not, not, but just, um, and and I had an opportunity on a couple of occasions to 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 speak with him, and I think that we've done a, a yeoman's work in building out um, startup communities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The funding is there. You've got it at the federal level through EDC and BDC. There's like a fund that you know fund of funds that's kind of trickling down to some of the venture funds. Um, in Quebec, we have it at the provincial level through Terrellis and some of the labor-sponsored funds into the venture uh, community. And you have like Ange Quebec and you have all of these, these, these mechanisms that are building and attracting and funding, you know, Series A, pre-venture rounds, all of that stuff. What my feeling is that um, the, the, what the Canadian – marketplace needs more of is it needs more kind of mid-tier and it needs a couple of whales i mean the i think the 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 big um tragedy in um blackberry is that canada lost a huge acquiring vehicle Mm -hmm. that could keep um talent local right and could keep technology local right and um I think the big risk, if we don't think about that next step in in encouraging the growth of domestic, large domestic tech players, is that um, we'll become kind of the Montreal Expos, right? Which is we become a, a kind of like a pro farm team, mm-hmm. and all of our great talent and our great IP and our great companies um, ultimately become. Um, subsidiaries of large, either global or U.S.-based entities. And that's a big risk for Canada. Mm. So when I see Shopify, I hope that them going public means that they're going to continue to grow and they're going to leverage that profile and their currency, their public stock currency to acquire great Canadian companies and build it into something bigger. I, I hope like, I mean, I hope personally for them, and I'm sure they've done exceedingly well, mm. that um, this isn't just a, um, a a precursor to an exit to some big U.S. company. And then we lose, you know, we lose the next Corel or the next whatever. I, I think we need that. And, and I think as government is thinking about, you know, how do we take our tech infrastructure to the next level? I think... They did it with the film industry. They did it with the resources industry like 30 years ago mm-hmm. with tax credits. Mm-hmm. Give tax credits to like the big funds, mm. the big venture funds, the big um, uh, public funds to invest in Canadian tech um, at a public level or 
um, let's get more Canadian public tech companies that are going to grow and then are going to acquire and stay here. It's a, you know, you look at the Nortels and the Blackberries of the world and so on. And, and, and what comes out of this for me is this sense of yawn. And, yeah. you know, and nobody got pissed off that it happened. Nobody said, how the frig could you allow this to happen? To- well, I could tell you, and I hope I'm not telling tales out of school. I was at a, I was at a retreat that was organized by the Ministry of Finance when BlackBerry was on the on the was on the fence, right? And um, they had just bailed out the car companies, and the question was asked: Should you do we do the same thing with BlackBerry? Mm. Um, and the general consensus was that bailing out uh, a company that was not self sustaining was not actually the right mm. thing to do. Mm. The right thing to do was to leverage those funds to build companies that were self-sustaining um, like the car companies i guess yeah bad example bad example yeah but also but the perception is that they can be and so therefore man really sad stuff and i, and I think it's an it's an attitudinal thing too is that uh, uh you know that's the that's the that's the comfort zone so therefore we need to continue to do that because we haven't been uh, nurtured as a culture to embrace risk to embrace innovation it's coming it's come a long way but back in those days man it was just no no we got to stick to what we know versus right, what we exactly. don't know. Well, look, uh, according to my notes, anyway, it says you are a master of branding, marketing, and sales. It's in the notes. Well, can you uh, maybe pass yeah, that on yeah, to some I of will, my actually. investors? Yeah, yeah, yeah it'd be good to say. <laughs> is, cover, is, cover them on the memo. Is yeah. Oliver uh, still one of your investors? He's, yeah, and he's a good friend of mine. Oh, that's very cool. Tell me, uh, branding is very near and dear to my heart. It's kind of what I what I do uh, for our brand, for our, for our business. And what are the key attributes of a killer brand? To me, to me, if you're not looking after your brand identity and nurturing and so on, then you really there's no sense in you having a business because you really don't have a have a have that identity. So, what are the key attributes of a killer brand to you? Well, in 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 my humble estimation, um, it comes really down to to a couple of uh, basic tenets. One of them is: um, Does the brand resonate with your core consumer, and who is that core consumer? Mm. So those two things have to connect. You can't be all things to all people. I mean, I get the question um, as oftentimes as I present in a public forum is: Why don't you ship faster? And I'm like, Well, that's not the business model. I mean, I could ship faster. But it would mean that I'd have to pre-buy the goods, right. which means that I'd have to allow for a markdown on my inventory, which means I'd have to charge more, which kind of destroys the basic mm. tenets of my business model. So, um, you know, m- my customers, my loyal customers have to recognize um, and it's incumbent upon me um, to hold to that, that there's a trade-off in my business model between – time and money. Right. And so that's something that we've always tried to remember. We've always tried to remember who our core consumer is. Um, and I think, um, probably the most important is that, um, our customer at, at the, at the core, I guess you could apply this to any business, but when you're spending 20 to $40 to acquire a paying customer, which is, pretty much our business, right? Um, you're probably not making that much profit on the first order. Mm-hmm. So 
you're really in the loyalty game. Mm-hmm. Um, so as much as what we do from an advertising point of view and an assortment and merchandising point of view is, um, is critical to the brand, the post-order customer experience for us is probably the most important of the brand part of the brand experience. And so every single one of our um, people picking orders, fulfilling orders, answering, answering um, uh, customer calls or emails or chat sessions or responding to uh, customer satisfaction surveys or watching Hootsuite for what people are saying on social media about us. Every single one of those people is a brand ambassador, mm. right? And so the the experience they have with them is as important as how good the pictures looked on the daily email. How, how do you, I mean, that's, that, that again is a, is a cultural uh, thing in my perspective. How do you maintain that day in and day out that that sense of urgency to deal with what's best for the customer? It's not always easy, and um, but you know I recall kind of growing up and having so many examples in retail of great retailers where you know the founder and or CEO. Uh, never lost sight of day-to-day operations and, and the customer. Sam Steinberg, you know, who was a great Canadian mm-hmm. retailer. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Walton, um, Jean Coutu. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, this, this is a guy who redefined the pharmacy totally. industry, turned it into general merchandising. Um, these are guys who never lost sight of what was going on um, at store level. And so I, I read, uh, I read, I don't know, 50 to 60 customer um, satisfaction surveys every day, every day, uh, every day. Wow. Um, we get thousands. I can't read them all. Mm-hmm. I listen to, um, customer calls every day. Um, we have three, um, operations meetings, um, in the, within our business that are daily and that are run by, um, members of the customer service team. Mm. One's on quality, one's on uh, ship times and one's on, um, um, supply chain. But it all comes back with, you know, I, I, I try to say it every single day that um, everybody should be a customer advocate. Everybody within the organization has to be a customer advocate. Otherwise, they're not doing their job. Yeah. Well, they're the economic currency of your business, right? I'm not. Look, I, I try to tell people this every day. Um, and it, sometimes I guess it, 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 it resonates more than other times. But I, I don't pay anybody's salary. Uh, my board doesn't pay anybody's salary. Our customer pays the salary. Mm-hmm. So if that person walks out or has a poor experience, and I'm by no means suggesting that we get it right all the time, but we really should make an effort um, to make right when we make mistakes. Mm, mm, very cool. Well, it's funny. We'll, we'll do it with our own personal relationships, but for some reason, the customer, we sometimes forget we have to do that. Very cool. I, no, no, no word of a lie. We, we had an individual who, you know, I think, thought she was doing the best for the customer. But at one point we had a person who was running customer service who viewed customers as the enemy. Nice. Nice. And that's <laughs> how did he, not a recipe for success. Yeah, so how did she get hired in the first place to uh, represent customer service? So that's, well, the, we, you fixed yeah, that. Yeah. We, 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 we finally made a move on that. <laughs> Good one. For you. But, you know, I think it's, it's, it's important to have an advocate there. Yeah. Like you, it's hard to run I don't think it's practical to run a company that you wouldn't want to do business with. Right on. I love it. So look, we're down to two more questions. 
and because uh, we uh, and then we have the, and then we have the bonus round. Then we have the bonus round. That's right, <laughs> which is going to be really interesting because because it'll be nothing about about beyond the rack. That's for sure. So where are you going to go in the next ten years? Because you're coming up to uh, in a few sh- uh, in, uh, in a few years uh, your tenth anniversary. So you've done a lot. Where are you going to go in the next 10 years? Or here, I don't know. 10 years is too easy. 10 minutes, right? Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do in the next six months? Um, what we're trying to do, here's, you know, here's a, an interesting um, parallel. My, my partner kind of grew up, up in bricks and mortar retail. His family owned a retail chain for, I think it was like 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, four generations ran that business. And they kind of woke up in the 80s. Um, and said, well, not so sure that retails for us long term, but um, we built this asset, which is real estate, you know, and maybe we're in the real estate business now, which was an interesting pivot for them. And one of the things that we've kind of um, found out on, on a kind of similar track is we've built out all of this capability, um, a, um, a large loyal customer base in Canada and the United States brand relationships with like 5,000 different brand partners. Mm -hmm. We have a burgeoning media business. So we do business with, you know, 60 or 70 of the top consumer packaged goods companies who want to reach our customers, not to sell them stuff, but to, you know, throw samples in and tell them about, you know, what the new, you know, deodorant or shampoo is. Um, We have a logistics network. We're doing home delivery in four markets in Canada. We have our own trucks on the road. I think for us, what we're, um, looking at is how do we leverage all of these assets um, to serve things other than what we're already doing, mm. things that might be incremental? You know, could other people leverage these um, these assets? You know, Amazon's done an effective job of leveraging their e-commerce assets and building out um, a service business that drives most of their margin. So, those are things that we're looking at. You know, I can't speak to anything um, very specific, but those, you know, that's kind of, I believe what the future holds for us is beyond the rack, continuing to evolve and grow. Um, but also all of the things that we've built to support beyond the rack, could we use them for other means? Mm. Can we use them for good and not evil? <laughs> you mean like you have been? <laughs> Seriously, what, what I love about that is asking the question and there's a role within your organization that says, we need to be open-minded and explore where the company's going to go next, not fall. And I think what happens is uh, with a lot of entrepreneurs, they get lucky they, or they get, they, get, uh, they get good and lucky and uh, things become very, very, uh, uh, from a revenue perspective, just amazing. And they sit back and say, this is the way it's going to work for the rest of my life. I don't have to do it. They become fat on the hog, as they say. And as one of my friends said, that many a sales hides many a sins. And, uh, right. and uh, so uh, I love the fact that you guys are doing that. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Appreciate I, have, it. I have one more question for you and it sure. has to do with you sitting with your, uh, with your great, great grandson, because I'm presuming you're still going to be alive when your great, great grandson comes into existence. And he, uh, he wants to embark into a Canadian or global marketplace. What's the one piece of advice that you're going to give him that you and you can't give him advice any other time in his life. You can only give it at this one time. Well, the one thing I would advise him, and I, I've got five beautiful 
children, um, ranging in ages from 19 to six. So I cover the broad spectrum. Wow. And, you know, when I reflect on what key lesson I'd like to impart to them is persevere and don't give up. Mm. If, if you see an opportunity, um, you know, we talk about it in hockey terms uh, between Rob and I. Don't leave anything on the bench. Mm. Um, if you're going to go down, go down in a blaze of glory. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, wipe yourself off and get back up yeah. and try it again. Yeah. Either the same thing or evolve and try something different. Yeah. But um, persevere. Yeah. Um, try and, you know, you, you get better every time you do something. Yeah. And, um, I just, I, I just hope that, that that's the one key lesson that, that they take away from observing their old man, uh, you know, fighting the good fight. Yeah. And continues to, uh, you, you live by that example. Yeah. I, I remember a lady, I was at a conference one time for startups and she told me, meet. she had a meeting with her accountant once and he, she said, look, I'm, I owe $300,000. I don't know where it's going to come from. I'm really going to declare bankruptcy. And he looked at her and he says, you know, declaring bankruptcy owing $300,000 is the same as declaring bankruptcy owing $4 million. He says, just <laughs> keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. Somebody wants, somebody wants, told me, um, you know, the difference between owing $300,000 and owing $3 million. When you owe $300,000, you are not sleeping. Yeah. When you own $3 million, your bank's not yeah, sleeping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yona, you've been just absolutely incredible to talk to today. I've heard you speak, and it's been a real privilege to have your time today from New York, taken away from your business. Thank you so, so much for joining us today pleasure is all mine and um i'm gonna hold you up on that burger man uh, and, i've written uh, it down already you, you will know i'm gonna be knocking on your door absolutely and and and, and please yeah don't be a stranger when you're in montreal thank you sir very much that's uh Jonas stern everybody and i'm just uh, what a great way to uh, to end the day for me uh, in this conversation thank you for beyond the rack and what you do for canadian entrepreneurship my friends as an example my friend as an example and as a catalyst i'm rivers corbett and you are listening to Startup Canada podcast show. Startup Canada is your doorway into Canada's entrepreneurship community. Be sure to check out the website startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like the popular startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday, Friday from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern time where expert guests answer your questions. Visit startupcan.ca backslash events to see our upcoming guests and topics. And if you want to hang out with me for a bit, you can find out how to get in touch with me at riverscorbett.ca. Send me a note. I have no problem responding personally to you. And you can see some of the other things that are going on in my life and helping entrepreneurs across this great country. Until next time, I'm Rivers Corbett, and I hope you have an incredible enterprising week. 